Well, he was always there, though it seemed as if he wasn't. It was the kind of phantom experience he lived, seeable yet unseen, known yet unnoticed, apparent yet unacknowledged, real yet unrecognized. The experience of existing as though you did not exist was his experience. I'm talking about the invisible man from that mid-1900s novel that was published as a lesson to all who it heeded. I don't mean the earlier novel that was published with a similar title by H.G. Wells. I'm talking about the, the 1957 Ralph Ellison novel in which this invisible man is meant to represent uh, the colored person's experience in America. He was seeable, yet unseen, known, yet unnoticed, apparent, yet unacknowledged, real, yet unrecognized. But for the purpose of today's sermon, some might say that the visible invisibility with which he lived uh, gives a window into the visible invisibility by which some followers of God perceive God, the Holy Spirit. Always there, yet most often ignored. It was mistreatment of the man in that fable and it is undoubtedly mistreatment of the God who indwells God's people. There's another book, or better yet, a series of books Many of you probably heard of this one. If you haven't, then you surely heard of uh, the character who the series centers on. If you haven't heard of the character, then surely you've heard of the, the question that characterizes the character. Now I'm talking about the book series, Where's Waldo? <laughs> this series and the character for which it's named can be traced back to the late 1900s when Martin Hanford first created the character as an attempt to showcase his artistic ability to draw and depict different scenes. So Waldo is a character who travels all over the world. He goes many different places and does many different things. And for the reader of these books, you kind of get to experience these places and things with Waldo because as he goes on and, and, and as he goes about throughout the world, you follow along by gazing at different pictures and of, of these places and things to see if you can kind of, uh, by way of solving somewhat of a puzzle, pick Waldo out amidst the chaos of his surroundings. And so your aim is to look at the picture and find Waldo. You want to answer the question, where's Waldo? But among all these chaotic backgrounds, it may seem as if Waldo could be anywhere. You got to check behind every tree. You got to scan under every bridge. You got to look around every corner. And I bring Waldo up because similar to the invisible man, it might be said that Waldo gives a glimpse into how some of the followers of God perceive God, the Holy Spirit. So for some, the Holy Spirit is like the invisible man there, but not really there. But for others, he's like Waldo, there and unhelpfully everywhere. The truth of the matter, friends, is that for many of God's people, for many of those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we often have this inaccurate or incomplete understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. There are some who ignore him when he should be acknowledged. There are others who claim to have witnessed him in places and activities that he has not been. And I don't expect to fix all those sermons in one sermon this morning. Fix all those problems in one sermon this morning. But what I do hope to do this morning is to look at this single verse where the Holy Spirit is referred to as a gift given to God's people. And as we look at this verse, friends, I hope we can grow in our understanding of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I also hope we can share in the joy of those who were present when Peter made this promise that they could receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Because you got to wonder, right? Like, what must those who were present like what, what, what must have been their gut reaction when they first heard this statement? It's at the beginning of the book of Acts, 
And so it comes shortly after the ministry, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, He's lived and ministered on earth. He's been killed by persecutors. He has risen from the dead and walked out of his grave. And he's charged his followers to spread the news about him doing all of this. And in this chapter that we're looking at this morning, Peter does just that. He preaches about Jesus and all that Jesus has done. And so upon hearing Peter preach this sermon about Jesus, the text says in verse 41 that the crowd around him was pierced to the heart. Then they asked Peter the question, what do we need to do about all this stuff we just heard? And Peter, friends, in our verse from this morning, he tells the the, the people who asked this question, says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he's essentially saying, be saved. Repentance is what's required of us for salvation. Baptism is this outward sign that we have inwardly received the gift of salvation. It's us telling the world that we, we, we've received this gift. Now we want to be known for having received that gift. And so Peter essentially says, repent, be baptized, be saved. And he tells them that when they do this, they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so you got to wonder, right? Like what must those who are present when hearing this statement, like what, what must they have thought? When they heard this statement, were they like some of us can be? Like, did they interpret the Holy Spirit as this kind of invisible man who would be received as a gift, but would never actually be there, never actually working in their lives? Or might they have interpreted him as a kind of where's Waldo figure who would be all over the place doing all kinds of things, needing to be detected among all kinds of chaos? you got to wonder what they must have thought when initially hearing this statement. As I wondered about it this week, I became persuaded that they probably didn't fall into either of these extreme camps. Because see, what you had with these people was a group of Jewish folks who had been hearing about the Holy Spirit for all of their lives. These were Bible-reading people. And so when these words rolled off the tip of Peter's tongue, it it would have formed a seriously significant statement for these people. Friends, this is a group who would have known about the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of emptiness in Genesis 1 before God spoke and said, let there be light. This is a group who would have known about how Joseph was said to have God's spirit dwell within him to help him interpret the dreams of Pharaoh in Genesis 41. This is a group who would have known where it said in the book of Numbers that it was God's spirit upon Moses and upon those who were called to lead alongside Moses. Friends, this group would have known that David, that that great historic king of Israel, he had ruled by God's Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 51, he asked God not to take the Holy Spirit away from him. This group would have known, church, that all the prophets of old, as Peter writes for us in 2 Peter chapter 1, spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, this group probably would have known about when Joel said in Joel 2.28 that God would eventually pour out his spirit on all of his people. Well, surely they would have known about Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 36 that God would put his Holy Spirit within all of his people. You see, church, we might, we might wrongly assume that the Holy Spirit was absent or apathetic or maybe even asleep during the Old Testament days. But this group, upon hearing this statement from Peter, they would have known that the Holy Spirit had been alive, active and attentive for all of history past. They would have known, church, that, all of, that they would have known of all the Holy Spirit had done. And therefore, when Peter said that the Spirit would be given as a gift with salvation, it would have been a big deal to them on that day. But here's why I bring this to y'all's attention this morning. The Holy Spirit being given as a gift with salvation should also be a big deal to you today. You see, I wonder, church, if we know just how great of a gift the Holy Spirit actually is. I wonder if we know that the Spirit is a gift that comes bundled with our salvation. I wonder if we think about the fact that the Holy Spirit is given to all who are saved. And I wonder, church, 
if we know that the Holy Spirit is who helps those who are saved live up to our saved potential. But I'm going to quit wondering, and if y'all allow me, I'm going to preach about it. The first thing I want us to understand about the Holy Spirit is that he's a gift bundled with salvation. He's a gift bundled with salvation. I already told you that when Peter says they needed to repent and be baptized, what he was essentially saying is that they needed to be saved. They needed to, to, to do what it took to be saved and to show that they were saved. The thing I want us to notice, though, is the assumption with which Peter speaks. See, he speaks with this assumption that, that them repenting and being baptized will not only save them, but will yield them receiving the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's because the gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift that's bundled with salvation. There is no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. Like when you receive the gift of salvation, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as a helper and a guide and a comforter to help you in your salvation. Your salvation, friends, isn't like some of the gifts that are going to disappoint some kids in a couple of weeks. Some kids are going to be excited on Christmas morning, opening different gifts, excited about playing with this new toy they just got. And then somebody's going to read on the package where it says, batteries not included. <laughs> They'll be disappointed because they've gotten this gift, but the gift will be useless because they won't yet have the power by which this gift operates. Peter assumes in verse 38, friends, that when you get the gift of salvation, you get the bundled gift of the Holy Spirit as power by which this gift operates. As a matter of fact, church, the Holy Spirit is a gift that makes the gift of salvation even attainable to you. Like you couldn't get saved if it weren't for God, the Holy Spirit, helping you. First, First Corinthians 2, chapter 10, God reveals the gospel to us by the Spirit so that we might understand. And then once we've understood, the Holy Spirit is a gift that makes the gift of salvation capable for us. Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment and a seal that keeps us until the day of redemption. So he is the power by which salvation happens, and he is the power by which salvation remains. The Holy Spirit Church is a gift who makes the gift of salvation attainable and keepable for those who are saved. He is the power by which the gift of salvation operates. That's why Pete speaks with this assumption that repentance and baptism will yield the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then also notice that Pete tells them how the salvation and baptism needed to happen. He tells them how the salvation and baptism must happen if the Holy Spirit was going to be received. He says, repent and be baptized for forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized for forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. So the repentance and the baptism that was necessary for the gifts of salvation and the Holy Spirit, it was, it was a specific kind of repentance and baptism. Peter says that it was the repentance and baptism which happens in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, this simply means that the repentance and baptism uh, needed to flow from belief in who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. It's all the stuff Peter was just preaching about right before this verse. It couldn't be this kind of haphazard regret and an empty ritual of a baptism. It had to be done in legitimate faith of Jesus being the Messiah. So follow Peter's logic here. If you were going to receive the Holy Spirit, you had to be saved. And if you're going to be saved, the only way to salvation was through Jesus. Those two points, church, help us to understand that Jesus is the one who gets us the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit. He is the means by which we receive these gifts. And now this makes sense because if you glance back up at verse 33 in your Bibles, you see where it says about Jesus that he has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received from God the Father the promised Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you were just reading your Bibles, going on about your own business, you came across that statement without seriously thinking about it, it might confuse you. Because we Trinitarians know that God the Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So why is it that Jesus, here in verse 33, like why does he need to receive from the Father the Holy Spirit? It's confusing. But then you get to verse 38. This verse we're looking at this morning, and you read that we got to receive the Holy Spirit. And now hopefully at that point it starts to make a little bit more sense, right? Because hopefully then we start to remember that Scripture describes Jesus as being the firstborn of many sons. He's the heir who makes us co-heirs. He's a representative who stands in our place. He is the covering in whom our lives are hidden. Scripture says all these things about Jesus, and they paint this picture of Jesus as being the one who's in our place, doing for us what we need, but are unable to do for ourselves. And now all of this, it causes this thing about Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit to make a little more sense. Because if we need to receive the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the one who always handles our spiritual business for us, then it makes sense that Jesus is the one who went to heaven and received the Holy Spirit as our representative in order to give the Holy Spirit as a gift to his people. But now here's why it makes sense, Larry. Here's why this makes sense on this Advent Sunday of December 2023. Because as we take this season to think about how Jesus was born like us, to live holy, die, resurrect, and achieve salvation for us, in order to give all the benefits of salvation to us, what we have in these verses is a picture of that very thing happening. With human flesh like us, Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven for us to give the Holy Spirit to us. I thought y'all might have been a little bit more excited about this. Let me see if I, can, if I can just make it a little more plain for us this morning. Jesus didn't go get the Holy Spirit because he didn't already have oneness with him. Jesus didn't go get the Holy Spirit because he needed to, to newly receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus went to get the Holy Spirit because we needed to receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus received the Holy Spirit because as our representative, our Lord and our Savior, it's a part of his work to hand deliver the benefits of salvation to us. It's that time of year, right, where everybody's ordering gifts and, and we're, we're buying loved ones gifts. We're, we're sending, loved ones, sending gifts to loved ones who are off at a distance because we can't get there. We can't be close enough to hand deliver the gifts to them. This passage reminds us, church, that Jesus is the kind of gift giver who shows up to give you the gift he's got himself. Jesus, church. Being a representative means that he likes to hand deliver the gifts he gets for us. So may we not forget that this is the season of Advent, right? May we not forget that, 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 that Advent means coming. And may we not forget that we have an Advent season because of the fact that our Lord has come. May we not forget that his coming demonstrates to us that he has care and compassion for us. And may we not forget that this ain't just any old care and compassion, but this is an, an incarnate, uh, fleshly, bodily physical, tangible, in your face, near and among you kind of care and compassion. And may we not forget, church, that all of this about Jesus suggests to us that God isn't one to care for us from a distance. He ain't got any dissonance in the way he cares for his people. God is one to get in our face and be palpably present when he cares for us. The Advent narrative tells us this because he, 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 he left heaven, he put on human flesh, he came to earth, and he was among his people. The delivery of the Holy Spirit tells us this because he went to heaven, he received the Holy Spirit, and he personally imparts the Spirit into his people. Church, our Jesus is a personable, near Savior with the way he cares for us, and he wanted to be near and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So never forget, church, that you got a God who loves to be near you, 
I mean, let this truth ring loudly to you this Advent season. Your God loves to be near you as a son or daughter of his. He chooses nearness when he came in human flesh. He chose nearness in the way he gives the Holy Spirit. And if you don't always feel it, church, even when you don't always feel that God is near, know that he chooses nearness when you pray or when you suffer or when you cry tears or when you face trials and triumphs. God chooses nearness to you in grief and in goodness. He chooses nearness to you in famine or fear and in feasts or flourishing. God chooses nearness to you in your battles against sin and in the victories you win for holiness. He chooses nearness to you in all that you face in life. God, church, is always near to his people. In spite of the way it may feel, Advent and the gift of the Holy Spirit remind us that he is always right there with us as his people. So there's nearness from God and the way we receive this Holy Spirit. It's a gift that God chooses to be near when he gives to us. And it's a gift that comes bundled with our salvation. But as we move on, why we also be mindful that the Holy Spirit is a gift given to all who are saved. Notice the phrase in the middle of Peter's sentence. Each of you, he says. Pete says that everybody who repents and is baptized will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that, church. Like, isn't this fascinating that there's enough Holy Spirit for all of God's children? Each and every one of us, we all can be filled with the Holy Spirit through repentance and salvation. John 3.34, it reinforces this. It says that Jesus gives the gift, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without measure. This means that, that, that there is no measured limitation on how pervasive the Holy Spirit can be. The Holy Spirit is able to indwell each of us as his children who are saved in Christ Jesus. And you know what this means for us as a church? It means that we should trust the Spirit's work. We should trust the Spirit's work in one another even. It means that the community of God's people is a safe place where we can expect the Holy Spirit to work in and through each other. And this means that we should assume the best of one another as we navigate our relationships. It also means that we get to live together in harmony. I heard it said this week that you can't commit to a degenerate people without help from the divine person. Well, glory be to God, church, we are helped by the divine person. We're to be a loving, caring, unified church because of the spirit who lives inside of us as God's people. You know what else this means? It means that we're able to be all of that as a church that is purposely seeking to be ethnically diverse. Like, this ain't something I just talk about from this pulpit. Like, like the elders and I are regularly praying and thinking about ways that we can, can continue to see our church legitimately grow to be ethnically and culturally diverse. But we would be fools if we came in here and thought that we could do this if there weren't any help from God. <laughs> Unity among diversity is hard. But thankfully, there is help from God. We're helped to love one another in spite of our differences, church. And so I'm praying that God would further help us who are minorities to be comfortable being ourselves in this church without over-assimilating to the majority culture. And I'm also praying that those who make up the majority would be comfortable and intentional to embrace the spirit-filled differences that differ from the culture that we may be used to. And so if you're uncomfortable with, with, with me saying this right now, whether you're in the minority or the majority, I trust and pray for the spirit to supply you the comfort that you need. The spirit indwelling each of God's people also means that we should celebrate the Spirit's work within ourselves and within each other. I mean, listen, like the Holy Spirit, he sets us up to be some of the happiest, most joyful, most confident, most celebratory people in the world. Like I know I said this last week, that salvation is a gift and we ought not boast because it, we ought not boast about it as if it happens by our works. This week, I kind of want to pivot on that. Salvation is a gift and we ought to boast to showcase the Spirit's work. 
So I just want to give y'all permission to kind of hold those two things in tension, not boasting in ourselves, but boasting in what the Spirit is doing in and through us. This is what we need as a, a part of our culture, as a church, and as a society. I was personally convicted about this recently. You may have noticed that almost every week now, I try to find something in our gathering to just point out and celebrate. Something that we can corporately look at and say, oh, God is doing that, or God did that. Let's rejoice in it. The reason I do this, church, is because y'all are spirit-filled people of God, and the Holy Spirit be doing stuff in y'all's lives. And let me say this. We don't want to be the kind of church that's too humble. By humble, I mean deceitfully prideful to celebrate the work that the Spirit's doing in all of our lives. The Holy Spirit is an each-of-you kind of gift, and so we ought to celebrate the Spirit's work in each and every one of our lives, church. That's my soapbox for today, Grace. I'll get off of it now. The Holy Spirit is a gift bonded with salvation and a gift given to all who are saved. But how does the Spirit help us? A few brief applications as we move toward closing. This list is not exhaustive, but just to mention a few ways the Holy Spirit helps those who receive him as a gift. He helps us by creating, correcting, comforting, and communicating. He creates, he corrects, he comforts, and he communicates. I talked a little bit about this earlier, but the Holy Spirit helps us by creating, because just as the Spirit, he's the one who, who is the very breath of God by which all things came into existence, he's also the Spirit and breath by which we as Christians came into re-existence. John 3, 6 makes it plain for us. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. We could not be spiritually reborn, church, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. He helps us by creating. We're also helped by the Holy Spirit via correction. He corrects us. When he saves us and he makes us new, there's a call and a responsibility for us to live as displays of that newness. And the Holy Spirit corrects us by convicting us whenever we fail to do this. It's like if Galatians 5 and 6 tell us we are to walk by the Spirit. We must be led by the Spirit as he gives correction and conviction. Like Conviction doesn't always feel good, but it's good for us, right? Conviction is good for the souls of God's people. And with each corrective conviction the Spirit gives, he makes us more and more like Christ Jesus. He makes us more and more ready to eternally worship our Lord as holy people in heaven. Then the Spirit also helps us, thirdly, by comforting us. He comforts us as we await the heavenly day. When we're confronted with heartaches, heaviness, brokenness in this life, the Holy Spirit is able to comfort us. Jesus said in John 14 that he would be sent as a comforter. He's able to provide us with supernatural comfort when nothing else can. And then lastly, he's able to provide us with supernatural prayerfulness when we don't know what to pray. Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. So when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes. That's, that's real prayer. Intercessory ain't just no, 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 no wordy kind of in passing prayer. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't have words for our own prayers. So he's a Spirit who helps you by communicating on your behalf when you're at a loss of words in your own prayer life. He corrects us, or he creates us. He corrects us. He comforts us. He communicates for us. He does all of this and more, and he is the gift that each of us receive in our salvation. 
My final encouragement to you today, friends, is for you to not treat the Holy Spirit like this invisible man or any hyperactive book character. He is no visible yet invisible man like the character from Ralph Ellis' book. And he is no Waldo like the character from Mark Hanford's book. The Holy Spirit is a person and is a personal gift who can, does, and desires to work in all of the lives of God's people. May we treat him as the gift that he is. Let's pray. God, you've been gracious to give reconciliation with yourself. We were strangers, foreigners, completely isolated from you without hope. And you and your kindness to us sent Christ Jesus to renew this relationship that we broke, to reestablish intimacy, a connection with you as God and people. And in doing so, Christ our Lord has not only given the gift of salvation, but he's also given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can never say thank you enough, but we do pause now just to say thank you. Thank you for giving us a God, a comforter, a corrector, a teacher. I pray and ask that we would consider the great gift it is for us to be filled by your spirit. And that we would take heed to the different prompts and leadings that he gives us in this life. I pray and ask, Lord, that if there's anyone in the room who is not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, that in hearing about him and in witnessing the fellowship of your people who are filled with him, they will be moved to longing for. And I pray, Lord, that you would answer their longing by removing the scales from their eyes, helping them to see Christ for who he is, leading them to repentance and faith in who he is, and then filling them with the spirit that he himself delivers to us as your people. Do this work, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.